the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. KSLR is proud to feature our Church of the Week. Our desire is that you will get to know the pastors and churches in our community and find a church you and your family can call home. Here's the host of our Church of the Week program, Director of Ministry Development, Mark Longoria. I hope you're having a fantastic weekend. My name is Mark Longoria. I'm the Director of Ministry Development here at AM630 KSLR. Thank you for listening to The Word in South Texas. This particular program is called Church of the Week, and what we like to do is every week we like to bring you one of the uh, one of the pastors in our area, one of the people that have just committed their lives to uh, teaching the Word of God, discipling people, bringing new people to the cross to get to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and just uh, just continuing to do the kingdom work. And today in studio, we have none other but a legend here in San Antonio, Pastor George Harris, that uh, has been uh, com- has committed. A great deal of his life to uh, teaching the gospel and, and discipling folks uh, here in the San Antonio area. So, Pastor Harris, good to have you. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming here. Good to be here. First time, really, you and I get to meet. Uh, although uh, when I when I mention your name around the halls here, people light up like Pastor <laughs> Pastor Harris is going to be in the studio. Um, I know that even just walking in today, uh, we had another yeah. pastor walk in the right. lobby and immediately recognize you. So you are. You are a legend. You are someone that uh, that has obviously impacted our city. And so just so that I and the rest of the folks that are listening in today can get to know uh, who you are, tell us a little bit about your background. Are you a San Antonio native? Or are you- no, I grew up in Arkansas, as a matter of fact. I uh, came to Texas just as soon as I could, but <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up in Arkansas, in a little town called Pine Bluff, Arkansas, and uh, went to Washington Baptist University in in the state of Arkansas, and then I came to Texas when I went to seminary, and that's how I got to Texas, and I ended up marrying a, a Texan, and mm-hmm. here I am. <laughs> God bless you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, uh, where did you go to seminary? I went to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. Beautiful, mm-hmm. obviously. Very good. Well, good to have you uh, now as a Texan. Uh, been here ever since? Well, no, I had a, a little stint out in Arizona for five years. Uh, and God forgave you. Yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he did. And I, I came back to, to uh, Castle Hills First Baptist Church here in 1975. We came from Phoenix here. So in 75, when you came to Castle Hills First Baptist Church, right. did you come as a parishioner, or were you already no, part I came, of the leadership? No, I came as a pastor. Yeah. yeah they, right. uh, Jack Taylor had been there for 16 and a half years, uh, actually as their first full-time pastor. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I came and was here for 29 and a half years before uh, I retired, actually resigned, and then had a motorcycle wreck and was kind of laid up for a couple of years before I became interim pastor at uh, First Baptist Church Kerrville, and then after some health problems, I retired. So, wow, uh, I'm I'm an old retired pastor. <laughs> did you did you know early on that this is this was the life that you were going to live? You were going to be a minister. Oh yeah, yeah. since I was eighteen. 
My first church was a little country church in northern Arkansas when I was uh, 18 years old. Wow. I was a student and uh, drove back and forth. It was a call, what we called half-time church. That meant you met on the second and fourth Sunday uh, because they couldn't afford to pay a preacher mm-hmm. on every Sunday. And mm-hmm. they'd go to the Methodist church on the other church, <laughs> uh, other Sundays that were off. And then it wasn't long after that that I got another halftime church 20 miles away, and it met on the first and third Sunday. So I was full-time pastor in two different locations. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Make it work somehow. Yeah, started off real early. So were you, uh, were you raised in a Christian home? Yes, yes. Saved when I was eight and— in the Southside Baptist Church in Pine Bluff. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And how did you come to know? How, how was that? Was it a one-day experience that you just knew that you knew that this was going to be your calling? No, it was kind of a about my junior year. Uh, I had this friend I kept going to church with on Sunday night. And while I was there in, in church on Sunday night, I got under conviction that, you know, I needed to do something with my life. Other than just what I planned on doing, I thought I was going to be an architect, but uh, I'd taken all the high school courses leading toward that. But anyway, as the influence of that person, I kept going to church on Sunday night with them, and uh, it was through that emphasis I surrendered my life to the ministry. Hmm. Now, surely, through all these decades of uh, serving in ministry and pastoral duties and counseling and that kind of thing <clears throat> there were some times where i imagine you had some some tough times some rough times and just like we all do yeah uh, um, i imagine there's some there's some pastors there's some ministry leaders listening to our conversation today that might be going through a situation right now where either they're second guessing themselves or they just need a, a fresh you know wind under under their wings um what is it what got you through some tough times as a pastor you know uh i guess it was um the advice of my boyhood pastor i i went to him one time after a youth meeting on, on saturday night and i said to him uh brother sparkman uh, how do you know when god's calling you to the ministry And the phrase that he used has stuck with me all these years. He said, son, let me tell you this. If you can do anything else other than be a pastor or preach and be happy, then you do it. Mm. And it came to my uh, realization that as I went on through my senior year, that I wasn't going to be happy doing anything else. Mm-hmm. And every time I've come against a crisis in my ministry since then, uh, you know, you come to places where you think, man, I, I don't have to do this. I can do something else. Yeah. I can sell cars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, I can do. I can get two paper routes and do this. Right. But uh, somehow it just those words would always come back to me. If you can do anything else and be happy, then you ought to do it. But if you can't do it and be happy, then you need to do what God's calling you to do. Mm. So that's that's kind of gone over in my mind. And there have been numerous times of frustrations through seminary and churches and all that kind of thing. Uh, I'm in about my 60th year as a pastor. Mm. And uh, there have been a lot of places where I could have thrown the towel in. Yeah. But I couldn't be happy. That's right. Wow. That's fantastic. 
Thank you for those words. I'm sure that someone will use them today as uh, words of encouragement to get them through their tough time that they're going through yeah. right now. What makes you happy? What in ministry exactly? I mean, I'm, ministry is just, there's so many different facets of yeah. ministry. All right. Preaching. Preaching. Preaching is a thing that uh, has excited me. I mean, I love being a pastor. Uh, some people early on said, you ought to be an evangelist. I did a lot of youth work, youth evangelism and that. And uh, at one time, I played a trumpet and had musical ability, and I started off leading singing, you know, and I had people saying, you ought to be an evangelistic singer. None of that ever appeared, uh, ever appealed to me. I always have wanted to be a pastor. Mm. And the thing in the pastorate that excited me more than anything else was preaching. I love preaching. Since you uh, came out of seminary, did you stick to a certain style of preaching, or did you? Did yes. You, did that kind of evolve into something new? No. Uh, well, it, it evolved with the reading of the life story of uh, G. Campbell Morgan. Hmm. I don't know if you know who G. Campbell Morgan was, but Morgan was pastor of Westminster Chapel uh, two different times in London, England, there for about 10 or 15 years, and he came to America and taught in a couple of schools over here that went back to England and stayed there until he died another 10, 15 years and died when he was in his mid to late 70s. Mm -hmm. And uh, I read his biography. And somehow reading his biography uh, made his books come alive to me. Mm. It's really sort of strange because Morgan was a guy that uh, uh, was not educated in uh, seminary or anything like that. In fact, he was turned down by the Methodist ministry. He said he had no gifts for the ministry. Wow. Uh, for ordination, they turned him down. And he became pastor over two or three churches in England and eventually made a name for himself at uh, Westminster Chapel right there, uh, not too far from uh, uh, the gates uh, to Parliament or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, the Queen's abode. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, anyway, I got enamored with him and studying his books and reading his books. I just fell in love with the Bible and with expository preaching, and that's been what I've majored on almost all my life. Incidentally, Morgan has over 50 books in print, and he only wrote one. He had a stenographer that sat on the front row, uh, a spinster, who took down in shorthand every message he ever preached and transcribed them into uh, literary form and published them. Wow. And those books are still available to this day. Now, I didn't know that until I had Morgan's son back in 1965, who was a Presbyterian preacher in North Carolina, come and preach for me. <laughs> and I got to meet him, and he told me this story. I said, boy, your daddy, how did he have time to write all those books? And he says, in his English brogue, he says, my father never wrote but one book, and it's the smallest one he ever wrote. It's The Voice of the Devil. <laughs> That's the title wow. of the book, which is incidentally a great book. Yeah. Uh, but he said the rest of them, and he told me the story about the lady. Hmm. Wow. Very interesting. I'd never heard, never heard of the gentleman. Yeah. That's fantastic. In the times that you've been here, uh, pastor in, in San Antonio, as a, as a minister, as a pastor, um, how have you seen Christianity evolve? Has it are we at a better place today? Are we at a worse place? Where are we uh, from, you know, the, the, the time that you got here? Was it back in 75? 75. Yeah. yeah. 75 now to yeah. 2015. Well, uh, things have changed, to say the least. The way you do church has changed. Yeah. We had a, 
um, and it was easier to be a pastor back then. I think uh, television was coming into its own, and uh, we were fortunate enough to get on uh, P- the PTL network mm. and uh, stayed on it until the crisis with the bakers and all of that. And we opted right. to get off because of the association with that at that time, mm-hmm. and it was costing a lot of money. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I made a, a fellow friend of mine made this statement to me. He said, George, you know, I think you and I have had the greatest opportunity in ministry from the late 50s until now. These have been the golden years of Christianity in America. He says the pastors were uh, respected. Now they're suspect mm. because of all the things that have happened in those areas, in the media and with preachers and radio, uh, TV evangelists, etc. Sure. He says, but you know, when we surrendered to the ministry, it was an honor to be a pastor. And the churches respected you and the community respected you because you held that position. He said, now... You know, you can walk into a place and they find out you're a pastor and you're suspect because they associate that with all this other. Mm. But uh, those were the golden years, I think, uh, up through mid-70s. And then, of course, in the 80s, we got into, uh, well, Vietnam and all of that and the rebellion in the colleges and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and and I would say that uh, drugs were not real popular in the 50s. I mean, alcohol was about the only thing that as a college student or yeah. high school student we ever worried about. We didn't, I, I didn't know what the other stuff was. Mm. And uh, But these have been great years. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you see as some of the challenges today that we face? I mean, obviously you mentioned now we have drugs when before we didn't, yeah. you know, it was just uh, the alcohol abuse. Um what are some of the challenges the church in general, we as Christians, face today that perhaps weren't present? I, I may get in trouble on answering that question. <laughs> uh, I think one of the greatest problems today that we face, that the church has developed a performance mentality mm. in worship, and we're not developing in the pew the kind of churchman uh, that— uh, for the next generation with our young people. Now, we've got a lot of good programs for young people, but Sunday school is sort of going away, and we do a lot of in-house Bible studies, et cetera. But as far as developing the kind of commitment, for instance, uh, my daughter and her church out in, in Phoenix, they're trying to raise a lot of money, and it's a big church. They're building some, uh, they've got three locations, I think. And they're raising uh, several million dollars for this program. She said, Daddy, we were at a meeting the other night. They invited us to come for those that had made a commitment. And she said, uh, there were just 300 of us there that had made commitments. And most of them, and she's uh, nearly, well, she is 50. She's 50 years old now. And she said, I was probably the youngest one there. Mm And she said, I thought there'd be three or four times that many people there. Wow. But they're not. She said, the people that are carrying the financial load, it's about 20% of our membership. And I said, honey, it's always been that way, mm-hmm. whether you know it or not. 20% of the people give 80% of the money. Yeah. And But I see that uh, in the future, that we're not raising 
we got Christians and we got people who are saved, but we don't have the maturity level of discipleship, in my humble judgment, or churchmen, those that are committed to that location, to that church, and to that mission. My mother used to say, uh, I'd, she was having dislikes of one of her pastors. She was complaining about him, and I said, well, Mom, why don't you just move your letter down to the First Baptist Church in her little town? Mm-hmm. She said, son, this is my church. I was here before he came, and I'll be here when he's gone. Yeah. I mean, she's committed to that church and to the mission of that church, that kind of commitment today. Right. We have people who swap churches almost like they swap automobiles, mm-hmm. have a shopping mentality. Right. We're going to go where this one appeals to me a little bit better. And so you've consequently thrown the church into a performance kind of uh, thing. Right. And uh, people, they, they offer what's going to get the crowd mm-hmm. rather than, I think, what what's going to grow the church maturity-wise and evangelistically. You, know, you started talking about worship. Um, this very morning on my drive to work, I, I dropped off my middle school uh, son, and uh, on our way to school, uh, he looks out. I see him kind of staring out the front pane of the of the car and looked out the sunroof, and he was just kind of staring at the sky. I said, "What's up, son?" And he says, uh, "He says I'm just. He says I'm amazed by the clouds. He says because there were different. There were probably three, maybe four layers of mm-hmm. clouds, and each layer was designed differently. the 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 lower layer was were big puffy clouds and." The further higher the fur, the higher they got the layers, the more stretched and kind of stretched out by the wind, I guess mm-hmm. they were. And of course, the sun was rising, and it was just a, a beautiful tapestry up in the sky. And for as he said that, you know, I said, and some people don't believe there's a God. I said, who can paint that in the sky? And going back to your to your point of worship, you know, it's th- it's those little moments that to me. It's those little moments that just take me into a level of worship. It's like, wow, God. I mean, that it's just we can we can build stuff. We can build a car. We can build a microphone. We can build things with our hands because you've given us the ability and the knowledge and the wisdom to be able to do those things. But we could never do that. We could never build such a sky. No, that's right. You know, and those little moments just take you into a deeper relationship with Christ into a deeper level of worship with God. And I believe that's a little bit of what you're talking about. Well, it's exactly what I'm talking about, and that's what the psalmist was talking about in the 8th Psalm when he says, My Lord, how excellent is your name in all of the earth. You set your glory above the heavens. Mm. And, uh, we, we, you know, it's it's amazing. He talks about your fingers have created this and uh, what is man that, uh, I, uh, you know, what am I? What am I that you've made me like this? Yeah. And uh, it's he. He's actually, I have to visualize him as being on the Judean hills out there with his shepherd, with his sheep, and just looking at what you were talking about here, and just being awed by that cloud layer and the moon, maybe and the stars and all that, because that's the context in which he he wrote that psalm. Yeah, wow. just awed by it, you know, and. It, you don't see that a lot in churches mm-hmm. today. It's too much performance for me. I, hmm. 
I, but as you get older, you change your mind about a lot of things, and I'm yeah. sure that my grandkids would say, oh, Papa, you know, you're <laughs> they like the music and they like the other things, but I wanted to tell you, uh, as far as developing the church is concerned, I'm afraid we're missing the mark there. We need to go deeper. Hmm. Well, there you have it, words of wisdom from Pastor George Harris, uh, now at uh, Grace Point Church, serving with his son, uh, Senior Pastor Jeff Harris. Um, the uh, address is uh, 9650 Hebner Road, is a medical center area, and the second location over on the west side at 8531 Leslie. More information is found about Grace Point at uh, gracepoint.org. Uh, Sunday services at the medical center are at 10 a.m. and 11.30 a.m., and the, and the west campus is at 9.30 a.m., and again at 11 a.m. Pastor, let's talk about uh, Grace Point Church. Your All son right. Jeff is now there, but I know that this was something that uh, while you were at Castle Hills uh, First Baptist Church, this was a, a mission. A, 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 we, yeah. Yeah, tell us about that. Uh, well, uh, anyway, I, I don't have the time to tell you the whole history about it, but one day I was driving by there and I noticed a sign in front of the uh, church that had uh, was for sale. And they had, it was back during the 80s when things had gone bad financially for a lot of pl- people, a lot of churches, and they'd gone bankrupt. And I thought, my goodness. And so anyway, the long story of things is that Castle Hills uh, facilitated buying the 25 acres in an already existing building. And uh, as pastor of Castle Hills, I would preach at Castle Hills at 8.30, and then I'd get in the car and drive across town and preach there at 9.30, and then come come back to Castle Hills for the second service at 11 o'clock. And uh, Sunday nights, I'd preach at Castle Hills, and Wednesday night, I'd preach at Castle Hills. Thursday night, I'd go back out to the new location, for where, and I did that for three years. We, we finally got the attendance to about 300, 250, 300 people. But today, Jeff has been there now 20 years. He's in his 20th year. Wow. And uh, on campus there at uh, Medical Center, Medical Drive or Medical Location, I mm-hmm. guess they call it, they're running 2,300-plus, not counting the children. Mm. And then they've done the same thing that I did. They've gone out past Braun Road, and they've bought eight acres out there and started another congregation, and they're running six or 700 out there. Wow. Uh, and But he's smarter than I am in that he got uh, an associate, and <laughs> he doesn't go back and forth. Yeah. He goes out there sometimes three Sundays a month, and then he comes back to the local church for three Sundays, and his associate takes over. And they don't build their preaching around a personality. They've yeah. got uh, uh, a preaching team mm. that, that, that handle that, and that's smart. That sure. is so smart. Um, but anyway, it's growing. They're baptizing lots of people. I mean, yeah. it's a great, great church. It's it's what I think is more like the New Testament church. Lynn and I still go to the local, the first church there. That's we drive in from Bernie, and when I'm not preaching, we drive in from Bernie and go to church there. Mm-hmm. But it's a multi-ethnic church. You you go in there and you see people who are from India. Their med students are on the medical faculty there near the uh, medical center. Sure. You've got uh, uh, biracial marriages. You've got Orientals. You've got uh, just – you just walk in there and see them, and it's amazing the fellowship and the joy that that church has. It, it defies explanation. Mm-hmm. It's uh, – somebody asked me, well, is that a blue-collar church or is it an up-and-out church? 
I can't tell you. I just tell them it's an amalgamated mission that God's put together right <laughs> there. It's just they're all blended. It's wonderful. Wow. Now, what are some of the differences in, in styles of teaching or how the uniqueness, not differences mainly, but the uniqueness of Jeff? Well, Jeff teaching. is a graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. He's really grounded in the Word, and he is an expositor by nature. He's a great illustrator, better illustrator than I am. He has a way of taking the scripture and not only squeezing the truth out of it, but then illustrating it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music is the kind of music that I go late, so I don't have to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to listen to all that contemporary stuff. Sure, you know, yeah. I'm the choir man. I loved the choir and the big orchestra and all of that stuff that went on in the 70s. Yeah. But uh, anyway, they love it. They praise. They worship. I mean, it's it's great. But he's, he's very distinctively an expositor. Yeah, well— um, we just want to say thank you for you know, all these years that you have given to the ministry. And you're still actively preaching yeah. and going to different places and right. ministering the Word of God. And you said 60-plus years or so in, in ministry. Is that right? Uh, I guess it is. I was, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, pastored my first little country church. I was just getting ready to turn 19. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll be 81 next Sunday. And so, and so that's uh, that gives you an idea yeah. of how many years I've been in the ministry. Well, you look, yeah. you look fantastic. We're grateful Thank for you. men like you that uh, just you know been committed to the Word of God, committed to bringing people to the cross, committed to discipling new Christians, and uh, we just thank you for. It's all been your a work. joy. The whole, I mean, not without pain, not without difficulty, but the, the rewards have outweighed the difficulty. Amen. Well, thank you once again, Pastor, and uh, we want to uh, ask you that are listening to us today to to go by and visit Grace Point Church, located in the Medical Center area, 9650 Hebner, and over on the west side, the west campus is the uh, 8531 Leslie. More information is found online at gracepoint.org, and uh, services in the Medical Center area are 10 a.m. on Sundays and 11.30 a.m., and the West Campus is 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. One more time, gracepoint.org. Find out more information online, gracepoint.org. Thank you so much for listening to The Word in South Texas, AM 630 KSLR. My name is Mark Longoria. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for joining us today as we featured the AM 630 KSLR Church of the Week. We hope that during this past half hour, you got a chance to know the pastor and learn something about their church. We encourage you to get involved in your local community church. If you'd like to nominate your pastor to be featured on an upcoming Church of the Week program, submit your nominations at kslr.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.